If there is a good God or a God at all, then why does evil and injustice exist in the world? This is one of the common reasons atheists give for not believing in God. God is all good? Really? Then why are there injustices in the world? Well, let's first look at the standard of justice and injustice. If a person objects to the existence of God because of the existence of evil or injustice, where do they get the moral standard of justice? If they are claiming there is injustice in the world. Said another way, if there is an absolute moral law that determines acts to be just or unjust, then there must be an absolute moral law giver. Who is God? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. God not only exists and created all things into existence, he also created the moral law. And he created it to be objective. That is, existing, existing regardless of the subjects, the individuals. So he created the law to be objective, that is, to exist regardless of what any person determines it to be right or wrong, which is called subjectivism. God's objective moral law, built upon truths that are universal, are the standard by which acts are judged as just or unjust. So the fact that a person can claim that injustice exists is actually predicated upon the reality that an absolute moral law exists, given by an absolute moral lawgiver. Number two, evil cries out against the existence of God. This is another common objection. The reality of evil proves, atheists will say, there is no all-powerful God. However, rather than cry out against God, evil actually cries out for God in at least three ways. First, as just observed, we have no way of knowing something is really evil unless there is a God who has established the moral law, moral law by which we can judge it to be evil. Second, as every Christian should know, if we know God, the only real help when someone is suffering, comes from God. As St. Peter declares to Jesus in John 6, 68, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. When this life is fading, the only real comfort is the hope of eternal life. Furthermore, as St. Paul attests in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, not only can God comfort us in our suffering, but having been comforted by God, we are capable of comforting others in their suffering. God can use apparent evil, our suffering, for our good and the good of others. Third, we know that there will one day be an end to our suffering. As St. John tells us, in the book of Revelation 2, 20, uh, 21st chapter 4. 
He said, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Number three, the third objection. If God is all good, and if he created only good things, then where did evil come from? Well, in the fourth century, among others, St. Augustine answered this by noting that one of the good things God made was free choice. It is good to be free. We all enjoy it. No one marches against freedom. Even if someone did, he would be enjoying the good of his freedom to do so. But if it is good to be free, then evil is possible. We cannot be, for instance, free to love God unless we're also free not to love him. We cannot be free to praise God unless we are free to curse God. So evil began when a free creature, Lucifer, used his good freedom to will the good of the creature over the good of the creator. Number four. What caused Lucifer to sin? What caused Lucifer to use his freedom to sin against God? It certainly was not God, since he tempts no one, James 1, 13. Further, there is no other sinful being in existence tempting Lucifer to sin. Neither was Lucifer's nature imperfect, for God made every creature good. What then was the cause of Lucifer's sin? Very simply put, it was Lucifer himself. A free action is one that is self-caused, that is caused by oneself. It cannot be caused by another, for if that be the case, then the action would not be free. Nor can it be uncaused, for every action has a cause. So, if Lucifer's prideful act of rebellion against God, 1 Timothy 3, 6 was not caused by another or uncaused, then it had to be caused by himself. Evil did not begin with God. God did not create evil. He created free beings who are good. And a free being, beginning with Lucifer, created evil when he chose the creature himself over the creator. Number five. If God is all good and all powerful, why is evil not defeated? When Lucifer sinned, why didn't God nip evil in the bud with Lucifer? It is true. If the God of the Bible is all powerful, he could defeat evil. And if he's all good, he would defeat evil. But it is obvious to all that evil is not defeated. Just watch the evening news or look around your neighborhood. 
Evil is everywhere. In short, if God is all good, then we know he wants to defeat evil. If he's all powerful, we know he can defeat evil. And if evil is not yet defeated, then we know for sure that it will one day be defeated. Its defeat is guaranteed by the nature of an all-good and all-powerful God. In fact, this is where the cross and resurrection comes in. The cross defeats the effects of sin and evil in each person. If each person truly and freely chooses to embrace the person of the cross, Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven opens to each person the possibility of an eternal life with God without sin, suffering, and evil. Here and now, though, is where and when we use our freedom to choose this eternal life with God or use our freedom to choose something other than God, which will leave each of us with the effects of sin and evil for all eternity, which is hell. The all-good and all-powerful God does defeat sin and evil, but each of us created free are given the freedom to choose to live or not live according to this victory. Number six, what about things like the Holocaust? Few events have stirred hearts more than the Jewish Holocaust, and rightly so. Yet as horrible as it was, it does not cry out against God's goodness or existence. In fact, the exact opposite. As one Holocaust survivor declared, it never occurred to me to question God's doing or lack of doing while I was an inmate at Auschwitz. I believe my faith was not undermined in the least. If someone believes God is responsible for the death of six million people, he's got, he's got his thinking reversed. We owe God our lives for the few or the many years we live. Job said after severe calamity had struck him, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job 1, 21. Also look at Deuteronomy 32, 39. We know that God doesn't cause, doesn't cause such evils and sins of men. In the cross, we also know that God chooses to join us in the great injustices committed by us and against us. In our suffering, he chooses to join us from the cross. And in our crying out to the Father. It is this very crying out to the Father that we encounter, like Christ, the presence of an all-good and all-powerful God who can and will deliver us from evil for all eternity. Well, why things like earthquakes... Tornadoes and tsunamis, number seven. Why does God permit such horrible natural disasters? 
looking through the lens of faith, and then we'll look through science. Looking through the lens of faith, we acknowledge that there were no earthquakes, tornadoes, or hurricanes in God's original design. And there will be none in the new heaven and the new earth. The reason there are such things between paradise loss and paradise gained is that, as St. Paul tells us in Romans 5.12, sin entered the world by one man, Adam, and death by sin. And as a result, St. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 20-21, that creation itself was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words... The use of our human freedom as human beings, when misused, not only affects the individual sinner or other innocent human beings, our evil negatively affects the rest of God's creation. However, Christ's use of our human freedom and his perfect response to the Father's love can and will not only redeem the individual sinner's soul, Jesus can and will restore the innocence of creation itself. Meanwhile, just like Jesus can use our sins to save us, he uses the apparent destructive forces of nature for good. So, to the science. So for instance, scientists tell us that hurricanes are necessary for survival of life on Earth. Even if they can destroy human life if we build our homes too close to the paths of hurricanes. Number eight. God never wastes a tragedy. In Genesis 50, 21, Joseph said to his brothers who had sold him to Egypt as a slave, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about the many people should be kept alive. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Although God did not cause the evil, nonetheless, he is working in the evil to bring about a greater good. Number nine, no pain, no gain. Indeed, if we allow, God can use all that happens to us in this world as a way to prepare us for eternal life, even suffering, even sin. We can't achieve patience without tribulation, or forgiveness without sin. In the letter to the Hebrews 12, 11, we hear, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In James 1, 2-3, tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And even if suffering is, God forbid, life long, St. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. And he has been known to sacrifice the latter in order to achieve the former. And God is more interested in our holiness than in our happiness. Knowing that our holiness in this life is the stuff that will produce an eternal happiness with him in the life of heaven. So the temporary pain leads to an eternal gain. Number 10, the recalcitrant. God is so patient and offers plenty of time and opportunities to use the freedom he gave to us in order to choose his love, which is our greatest good and will make us eternally happy. However, no amount of time will convince the recalcitrant. Those who will not be convinced in the goodness of God. As C.S. Lewis once said, there are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell chose it. Without that self-choice, there would be no hell. Number 11, the conclusion. All of this, and, and there's more. I just covered 10 points. All of this leads us back to here now, in this church, on this Good Friday. All of this leads us back to why we are here this evening in this place. The cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. It is in the cross that God chooses our conversion over his comfort. Our holiness over his happiness. Where he suffers pain so we can gain. It is in the cross that God turns tragedy into triumph where he uses our human freedom, he is a human being, to give a response to God that we were not capable of giving without him. It is in the cross that God joins us in the injustices and sins committed by us and against us. And we join him in crying out to the Father for salvation. It is in the cross that we encounter an all-good 
and all-powerful God who speaks to our problem with pain and the problem of evil, who is able to overcome and defeat an evil within each of us and ultimately within our world and in creation that we would never be able to defeat without him. It is in the cross that we can experience the hope of victory over the sin of Lucifer, the sin of Adam, in our own sins. And it is in the cross that we can be convinced, convinced of God's love for us. Seeing what God would do for us out of love to save us, not only from evil and suffering and sin, but to save us from ourselves. Therefore, as a symbol of Christ's cross, the cross of Jesus Christ is brought into our presence in just a few moments. Let us all take a moment to express our sincere gratitude, love, veneration, and devotion for this instrument of our salvation. Likewise, let us depart from this worship service this evening with a renewed dedication to unite our own crosses to the cross of Christ, to always ask Christ to help us carry our crosses and to be willing to help others carry their crosses, all with the knowledge that the pain of the crosses we experience will lead to the gain of eternal life. This is the good of Good Friday.